Hello and welcome to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. The Society for Hospitality and Food Service Management is the only association focused on workplace hospitality and amenities in the food service industry. Hello and welcome back to Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Michael Moore. And in today's episode, we are doing things a little bit differently. We have multiple guests on, but they are all from the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And today we're going to dive into how they're pushing the boundaries of sustainable programs, really, and what's possible, uh, what makes them unique. And at the same time, they are balancing that with record growth and record sales. So we want to we get their perspective on how they're thinking outside of the box. And today, like I said, we have multiple guests. So we are joined by Laura Midgall who is the Retail and Culinary General Manager, SSA at the Aquarium. We also have Executive Chef, uh, Matthew Bowden, who's with us. He's driving today, so if, uh, if you can't see him or he breaks up a little bit, we apologize uh, in advance of that. And finally, least, uh, but not least, we have John Abramson. He's the, the Vice President of Sales at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I want to thank you all for jumping on with us today. Our pleasure. So um, before we really get into what you're doing and what's different, Everybody knows the name Monterey Bay Aquarium. It's nationally recognized. I'd say it's globally recognized as one of the best aquariums um, in the country. But why? What is so different about it? What makes it unique? Well, I could probably say that. Um, It's where we're situated. We're right on the edge, literally tipping over into the bay of uh, Monterey. And we always like to say that uh, the Monterey Bay is our best exhibit. And the entire aquarium was built around the idea of bringing what divers were able to see in the bay to the general public. We use uh, seawater straight from the bay, and along comes with that a lot of uh, microorganisms and other small animals that populate naturally a lot of the tanks that we have throughout. And uh, it's an an incredible system um, that... uh, uh, goes from one exhibit to the next and with each one of those transitions has to go through filtration, acidity checks, temperature, oxygen, and many other um, uh, checkpoints to get to the next exhibit. And uh, what makes it so unique is the fact that what you witness while you're in the aquarium, if you don't a diver suit and went straight out to the bay, would be the same. And it's being able to bring that experience from the various levels of the bay, from shore all the way up into the deep, because we have a trench that goes straight out from Moss Landing out into the bay. Uh, And you get to witness the changes of environments and the animals that inhabit those areas. So from that standpoint, it's incredibly unique. Um, And uh, it's absolutely awe-inspiring when you're here and are able to experience it yourself. And I, I will say when I was there, I took a ton of videos. It was, I had some very touristy moments, which was is a, a pleasure to have, but I couldn't decide if I wanted to be inside or outside more, if that makes sense, where there's beautiful exhibits on the inside, things that, that make you feel like you're in the bottom of, of very deep body of water, just kind of looking around. But at the same time, you, you, you might look to your right and see, you know, sea otters playing um outside or i think there were seals splashing around when we were having our conversation so it's it's very uh, i don't know majestic or or i don't know what the word is for it but it's it's almost magical 
location wise, how it makes you feel. And, and I can't, I was there on kind of an overcast colder day, but it was, it was still stunning and breathtaking. Yeah. It's, it, it, I've been here six years and I'm stunned every time I have the opportunity to go into the aquarium right before we open or before an event uh, when it's calm and you just are able to take in the, uh, the, the exhibits or the um, sunsets that we've seen outside of our, our windows has just been absolutely incredible. In fact, those are the most uh, uh, engaging posts that I do are the, are the sunsets for the Monterey Bay Aquarium's great tide pool deck. Um, looks like I said, it's probably one of the, one of the best exhibits we have. I mean, in my my basement office window, it's not quite the same, but I yeah. Yeah, I can see the draw. <laughs> yeah. Laura, how did you how did you join this team? How did you join the you know the aquarium? When when did your story start there? Uh, we started um, in 2015. Our company came in and partnered with the aquarium for the food service, um, and were able to kind of start our program um, with. Chef Matthew and um, kind of blend in with the aquarium um, and understand their mission of conservation of the ocean and really become a part of the team um, along with pushing and understanding what they was important to our client and um, really wanted to make sure we were in line, right? So if the guests mm -hmm. came through and they felt that calming experience, we wanted to share that. If they felt and they understood the piece of um, conservation that they were talking about, we wanted to follow in with that as well. I mean, it, it makes sense. You can't have an aquarium that's based on, you know, conserving all the wonderful things in our oceans and, and bringing them to light and kind of educating people on how special those things are and then then go eat lunch there and, and have a, a, an atmosphere in our environment that doesn't reflect that, that, right. that seems wasteful or harmful. And, and you also, you spoke quite a bit when we were there about, you know, Chef Matthew and he's got a unique background. So Chef, if you can talk, I, would you mind just putting a little bit of, of flavor history into that? I, I looked at your bio on the website and I saw the word volcano in there. So I feel like you have a little of explaining to do on where, where you've been and what you've seen. I, I, I certainly do. Um, you know, and in, in, in just to kind of piggyback off what Lura said, I mean, in, in what you said as far as the environment kind of meeting the moment, right? An aquarium is so much different. It's so unique in so many ways. When you look at cultural attractions as a whole, right? When you look at zoos and you look at museums, they're conservation-minded. But the aquarium's message is conservation-minded, and it ties itself to food, right? We want this ecosystem to be around so that we can continue to enjoy it in so many ways. Whereas you go to the zoo and it's, you want to enjoy them and you want them to be there because they're such amazing animals and amazing creatures in the aquarium. We want them to be there so we can enjoy them on a plate, you know? And, and so there's, there's so many great opportunities to tie in those stories from a culinary perspective. Um, I really fell into the aquarium. Luckily. I mean, I, I jumped around my whole career. I have now been at the Monterey Bay aquarium eight years, which is seven years longer than I've been anywhere else in my career. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of, kind of did the, the, uh, jump and jump for a year, you know, I'd give it a year and I'd go somewhere else. And I did Rwanda, um, Hong Kong, St. Martin, um, and then kind of all over the U S from large hotels to corporate R and D 
And this has really been a culmination of my work, I think, where I'm able to take my high-end restaurant experience and hotel experience and tie it into a story, right? And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's what we always hope people are going to get is the story. We understand that you're coming there to have fun, to unwind, but we have those little moments in between that we're able to tie people into the story of conservation and the story of sustainability. And when they leave, we want them to ask a little bit more. What can I yeah. do? How can I be a part of this? Which, and, and before we get into the volcano part, which you may have skipped, but I'm not going to let you because I need to know how a volcano fits into <laughs> your life story. But for those listening that are maybe unfamiliar with how uh, culinary careers often progress, it's not unusual to work somewhere for a year, learn everything that you can or as much as you can under a talented executive chef, and then move on to a new opportunity so that you become you know, more rounded in your approach to culinary, your thought process, your techniques and execution. So that, that part is not the really unusual part to me of your story. It's the staying, the eight-year period you have now of finding a place where you just fit very well and your experience kind of lines up with what they're looking for. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, it, it goes to that story piece, right? And, and part of my story, you know, has been writing my own. And, and so now I can take that and tell it at the aquarium. And I think it's, it, it shows through our, our diverse offerings. It shows through, you know, the, the palette in which we painted there. Um, you know, the volcano piece, <laughs> I, I actually was in Rwanda, in Busanzi, Rwanda. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, it's actually where it all kind of came together to me, to be honest, from a sustainability standpoint. I had worked for hotels and I had worked for fine dining and a lot of that is, is opulence, right? Where can I get my food from? How important is it? How special, how finite is the resource? And how cool is it? Um, and when I lived in Musanzi, it became sustainable to find my next meal. And so we would grow our own vegetables. We would grow our own farm animals. We would slaughter our own farm animals. Everything became sustainable. And it, sustainable was where does it come from, right? It's, it's where is my next meal going to come from? Where do I get clean water from? And so it was really an exercise for me as a chef on starting from the bottom and working my way up again through a food system. And it was extremely eye-opening from that perspective. And, and speaking of water, I mean, this whole portion of the journey of sustainability at the aquarium in our conversation, Laura, really started with a bottle of water, right? Yeah, we, um, we definitely had some challenges with choosing choosing the best option for our guests. Um, we started with um, a simple option with um, no plastic, but we could do better for our guests. And mm-hmm. we went through some options that didn't work. And we went through some options that did work and finally um, settled on a 16 ounce amazing aluminum can that um, seems to fit everybody's need at the aquarium, including moms and children, you know, all the, all the different uh, people that we cater to. And and so, so maybe I'll backtrack a little bit and maybe I skipped it. So your, maybe your early conversations were talking about how food service can better reflect the initiatives and the, and the, the values of the aquarium and sustainability. And so what did, what did you decide in the beginning was kind of the, your, most important um, goal to achieve in sustainability? Was it going plastic free or was it something else in the beginning? Uh, Really understanding our partners and um, our options, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to know kind of what's out there, but definitely our main goal was to get plastic free in that cafe. uh, Most importantly, the 
what our um, ability to recycle, what our ability to, again, going down to those basic pieces, what can we recycle in our community? What can we repurpose? What can we reuse? All of those options came into play when we started building kind of that plastic-free area. Mm-hmm. And and so you you focused, maybe, was, it, was it the first step was just say, let's start with this water bottle. We need to take something as simply, simple as a bottle of water and start with a better option or find a better option. And how many iterations did you go through? Did, was it, we just found one and we're good or was it, was it a challenge? I think we went through five, six different bottles before we found <laughs> the right one that worked for our guests and our facility. Um, definitely it was one of those easy moves, right? It took mm-hmm. some time, but it was something that we could do um, to make a difference. Yeah. John, what was your thought, you know, during this when, you know, the relationships may be newer and they're working towards sustainability and you're cycling through water bottles? Was it, you know, are we going to be able to do this or, or what did the aquarium kind of view this trial and error process as? No, I think uh, the fact that we had a partner that was willing to go through the journey with us to achieve goals that the Monterey Bay Aquarium um, has. So, you know, reducing plastic pollution in the ocean is one of our top strategic goals, um, minimizing, you know, uh, our CO2 footprint. So that means buying more locally. Um, all of our wines are local. Uh, mm-hmm. We have in the uh, aquarium. And, uh, uh, you know, these, these goals that we have mean that there are massive changes for a contract feeder to be able to adopt, right, on a mass scale. And the fact that they're willing to do so was everything. So, you know, having the ability to get to the right answer is just part of the process. So we were very happy to see it. And Laura, what, what is the ultimate goal of the cafe of the, the food service operations part in terms of sustainability, where do you want to be in say two years, five years, do you have that mapped out or is it a, it, an, an evolving process? I think it's always evolving, right? So Chef Matt will find salt. I don't know if he wants to talk about that a little bit or some amazing partners that kind of come out of nowhere, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, salt. Yeah. Chef Matt, let's talk about salt. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's do it. The, the, the entire program is, is for us from a sustainability standpoint, built around incredible partnerships. Right. And so whether it's our water, like Lara said with Source, I mean, these guys just just became acquired like three days ago um, by a company that they're they're working on solar water sourcing. So they they literally pull water out of the air through solar panels, and so no longer they're going to need to take from rivers and streams. It's going to be solar panel sourced water. And so when you start looking at a partner like that, where you could potentially be sourcing water at the site where you are. Like it's people like that that we're trying to partner with to tell the story. Um, from our salt standpoint, Carlo uh, came to our back door about eight years ago when I started, and he knocked on our back door and I said, "Chef, there's a guy here to see you." And I said, "I don't know anybody here. There's no one here to see me." So I opened the back door and he's standing there in true California style with flip flops and shorts and sunglasses. And he said, "Hey, man, <laughs> I got salt." I said, "Where?" He said, "In this five gallon bucket." I said, okay. He said, you want to buy it? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> he said, well, hear me out. He said, I was drinking a beer the other day. I said, dude, I- I'm not buying salt from you. And he said, well, hear me out. 
He said, I was drinking a beer down in Big Sur and a wave hit me in the face. He said, I licked my lips and it was incredibly salty. So I filled up my beer bottle and I brought it home. I said, I can't buy salt from a beer bottle, man. He said, listen, he said, I forgot about it. And I went out the other day and it was all dried up. He said, so I went and got more water. I boiled it down and I have the salt. He said, I've got the right permitting. I'm going to be the only person who's able to pull water out of Big Sur here legally. I'll do some cool salt for you guys. I said, well, how much is it? He said, 400 bucks. I said, I'll buy it from you if you can keep bringing it back every single week. But you've got to be able to do it every week. He said, no problem. Well, now Carlo is in every boutique store up and down the coast of California. He sells from L.A. to New York City to Miami, from Thomas Keller to Daniel Balud. Um, and it all started because he knocked on our back door and, and we found some cool value in it. Our seaweed is a similar story. Mike Graham, uh, Monterey Bay Red seaweed, used to mm-hmm. work at the aquarium as a scientist. Uh, decided he was going to start growing red dulls for human consumption. Uh, started selling it to us at the aquarium. We started throwing it on our poke bowls. We made sea chi with it, um, some cool crackers with it. We've done some really fun stuff from pesto, you name it. Uh, Mike is now the same thing, selling to everyone from 11 Madison Park in New York City. Uh, and he's about to open a new farm this year, and he'll be the largest seaweed producer for human consumption in the United States uh, for vertical seaweed farming. And, and it's just stories like that that are so inspiring to us. And when you ask like what our five-year plan is, our five-year plan is that Mike is still in business and Carlo is still in business and the local fishermen that we fish with are still in business. And these stories continue, right? We understand that that's the real impact. It's cool to tell our story and say, we want plastic free, but if we can't tell how, and if the people that helped us go plastic free didn't stay in business, then it's not sustainable as an ecosystem itself. And so that's, that's the plan. And, and it sounds like in, you know, you're creating opportunities for entrepreneurs, you're creating opportunities for um, small businesses and new startups to really get a footprint. And, and you're, it is not a free opportunity. You're asking a lot of them. And Laura, in our conversations around retail, you know, most of the time when I'm speaking with a client, we discuss what resources you have available, you know, well, can you do this? Or do you have this in the area? In our conversations, you never doesn't really seem like you've taken that as an excuse or um, as a as a, a hurdle you couldn't overcome. You said, "Well, you have this now. Here's what I want. Make it happen." Can yeah. you give some examples of in the retail section? You know how you've made changes in what you were offering before to what you are now, and what those were. Yeah, I think the um, like Chef said, the most important thing is our our client, our partner communication, right? So talking with each one of those vendors and having those conversations, uh, we have talked to vendors that have just said, I'm not going to make a change. And we said, okay, we've talked to vendors that are like, how can we help? Like, how can we do it? How can we package without? How can we be more sustainable? Um, I'm talking to an artist right now that they're going to the vendor and saying, hey, like you can't wrap the canvas in, in cell pack. Like you can't do it. Mm-hmm. They won't accept it. So trying to make those changes within not only the partnership or the vendor, but then their parties that they're getting their product from. So it kind of goes up the stream. Um, and a lot of people are excited. They're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. How can we make that change? How can we not have that plastic produced and brought into our products? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, like I said, are receptive and understand that this is the direction that we're going to be moving forward with like this is the this is the norm now so and you know 
the retail is one part of it because so i know you know it's it is it is a space where you have the opportunity to price a little bit differently and, and people i think are more excited to buy something in in a glass jar knowing that it's creating a memory at the same time they're walking away with something and they have a great story there like i saw the packaging for carlos's salt and you know it's incredible yes he's doing infusions with it and and making it special and unique past what it already is but his packaging is is impeccable i mean it's it's a beautiful piece that you simply want to sit on the top of your of your stove as this a conversation piece you want someone to wander into your kitchen and say where did you get that that's beautiful and i think that's part of the reason you found so much success there they're beautiful and they're proud he's proud of that packaging right it's mm-hmm. you're proud to have that up on your in your kitchen like you said and i would say to lura's to lura's credit i mean i don't think she gives herself enough here i mean when they make <laughs> when they make changes in retail like it sounds small and, and the way she just explained it is it sounds like they're just making a change in, in the Monterey Bay Aquarium retail. But when, when Lura and the team, the retail team are going to these, these partners and saying, Hey, let's try this. And they do, they're finding success is, is just immeasurable. Right. So you end up with these larger corporations that are now saying, Hey, let's relook at what we're putting inside the plush stuffed animals and make sure it's recyclable. And it's now available, not just on a requirement, but nationally and worldwide. And so these changes are having a domino effect. And I think it's that, it's that power of me, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm just one person. What can I do? Lura and that team are, are proof positive that one person can make a difference. And I think when you start to look at it as overall, and if you were to connect the dots, it, it's truly incredible what they've done. I agree. I was blown away while I was there. And I know you're, she, you're right. She does undersell what she's doing. And I think the result of it a hundred percent, because it, it kind of blew my mind. One example there, you know, retail packaging is, is one thing it's hard to change. Um, but, but it is possible. But when you look at some of the things that are so ingrained in our, our systems of like receiving produce, you know, you, you order produce, you generally get it in a wax line corrugated box and you spend a lot of time breaking down boxes and it's a lot of material that is utilized in that, but you, you changed that. What did you do? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was kind of looking at the fundamentals, right? We knew we were fortunate to have seafood watch right here at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And, and it's, it's such a big piece of, of who we are. Um, but chef Adam and I sat down and said, what if sustainability was bigger? What if it wasn't just what's under the water and it was our entire system. And so we took a, a more holistic look at how we approached our menuing and how we approached everything from when it got in the door uh, to how it ended up on the plate. You know, farm to table, in a nutshell, is, is almost laughable, right? It, it's somebody coined the term 20, 30 years ago, and they said, oh, my goodness, this came from a farm. Like, well, yeah, of course, it came from a farm, and it ends up on your table, and somebody made a lot of money. <laughs> I hope they trademarked it. But <laughs> Go marketing. For, for, yeah, for us, you know, it was this great idea of, like, how do we get involved in the process? And so we started micro, I guess, managing what, what we brought in. And so we went to our partners and we said, hey, listen, we want to get rid of plastic. How do we do it? And, and you know, as Lara said, a lot of people were like, yeah, not really our thing. You're not big enough. You know, and, and our purchasing power is not massive, right? You know, we we are enough to be dangerous, but not enough to, to sway a huge company. And, and so what we did is start working with local companies. You know, we have Robbie's Fish. We have Russo's Produce. And these folks said, we are willing to take a chance. Russo's Produce took all the plastic, all the cardboard out, got us reusable plastic crates. They made the initial investment. They made the investment in the sanitizing equipment. And now that plastic crate, that reusable plastic crate is 
used at hospitals and schools and restaurants all over the peninsula. The same with Robbie's Fresh. They're using the same plastic fish totes that come off the boats. He's literally taking them, throwing them back in his truck and bringing them to us. There's no, there's no more middle, no more waste. You know, there's always room for improvement for us. And, you know, we're always looking to, to tweak the dials and get it, get it a little tighter. But, you know, we feel like we're in a place where we're truly making an impact. And if you'd asked me 10, 15, however long ago years it was out of culinary school, if my impact was going to be sustainability, it wasn't. I was going to be a Michelin starred fine dining chef that was going to change the world of food and everyone was going to know my name. And I think it's, it's a little different, you know, and as, as you get a little more refined in your career and start looking at what you want to do, I think that leaving an impact like this is pretty cool. And I think a, a wonderful takeaway from that, that you touched on earlier is you are not, you know, the, the biggest player in the game. Yes. You're, you're notable. And, and I think the point I'm trying to make though, is look at the impact you're having locally in, in an area like that. Now imagine if large companies could do the same thing or wanted to do the same thing or kind of collaborated in the same way with their providers, what kind of, it makes you think what kind of change could happen when the people that are running the lion's share of the market say no more. Or, I think it, it, it helps to prove the model, right? And that's kind of what we're doing here. And when you look at it on a, on a macro level, like that's, that's really what we're trying to accomplish here is proving that the, the model works and showing that, yes, we aren't huge, but we are making an impact and it does have far reaching effects. And, and, and if you do connect those dots, you realize that it, it really, really is far reaching. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it, you're hundred percent right. It's going to take a few of those, those larger players to say, ah, we get it. It makes it, it makes a difference. And it, it goes back to like program, like seafood watch, right? It's only as effective as the consumer. It's only effective as us saying, I want it, I need it. And that's the way it to be. And, it, it, it does. It does make a difference. And and John, right now, I know there are a lot of people that are going to listen to this, shaking their heads, saying, "Well, you can do that, or you can make money, mm-hmm. but you can't do both." But I don't believe you'd be on this podcast with your particular title if you weren't doing something right in the in generating revenue. So, how is all these changes that are, you know, I'm assuming cost more in a lot of ways? How are they affecting revenue? So sales. Yeah, it, it, great question. The first thing I want to touch on is the fact that, you know, through this journey, it's always been about progress rather than perfection. I mean, I think anybody that says that their program has reached the pinnacle uh, isn't taking a deep dive or, you know, is lying. You know, we're, we're always discovering new things that we can do. So it's always a progress, right, or a process, rather. So, you know, I, I don't want folks to think that, you know, it's like we've reached the top of what we can do. We're always improving our, and we'll continue mm-hmm. to improve our program. In terms of revenue, um, we were told early on that, you know, you can't make these changes. It's not going to be, you know, financially you know, feasible. Um, it's going to impact our bottom line. Uh, we have implemented probably the most stringent, sustainable um, efforts to date. And our last year, now that we've recovered from, you know, primarily recovered from our uh, years of COVID, that we have hit absolute record sales, uh, record revenue. We have um, set the bar so much higher than our record years prior to COVID. It's just staggering. Um, we've been, um, you know, we, we were told that we'd have pushback if we didn't have certain things in our service which proved absolutely untrue. No one said a word when we've, you know, changed around things to accommodate our sustainable uh, goals. 
and uh, come to find that uh, um, people are intrigued, people ask questions, um, people are impressed. And I, I had to date, they have not heard any complaints because we weren't hearing somebody's favorite something that you know may may not fit our program. Um, so you know, my biggest uh, takeaway from that is yes, it's attainable. It's always a process and it can definitely be profitable. We have proven that here. And, and I think that's, that's a great point. I also do want to acknowledge, I think to our listeners too, that you do have a different scenario. You have a different, you know, client base. A lot of, of our members in uh, SHFM are, have kind of a, a captive audience or they don't have the ability necessarily to do some of the same things and charge, you know, the same things you do. But Laura, you know, I talked about this and I think you've been, and I want to thank everybody. You've been really open with what's working with sustainability. And what are some of the things that you think are kind of universally applicable that you've done with your vendors, with your programs that can still achieve higher levels of sustainability or open the door to that conversation while at the same time, not necessarily being some sort of money pit or, you know, detracting from overall margins. Yeah, I think um, a great example is uh, Chef and I spoke yesterday about our new program that we're putting into the um, takeaway program and how do you build in that cost of those items Mm -hmm. um, is really important. And we're going to go for the gusto and go as a little bit higher end product. There's lots Mm -hmm. of different options you can do, um, but we're going to go a little bit higher end because we want to really hit home that sustainability is an option for to-go food or um, sustainability is an option for everybody. Have Mm -hmm. those options around where it's either a $2 increase for this or a $6 increase for this. Speaking to everyone, not just to one guest, right? We want to be open and available for everybody for those options. That makes sense. It does. And I mean, you know, the, I think the takeaways for me in this whole thing are that again, sustainability isn't that light switch you flip on. It's a conversation. And to John point earlier, you just have to start making a change and adapt, see what works, see what doesn't, but be willing to take a risk um, and test things out. I think that's where so many programs just start and stall in, in that they never get to the launch point because they want it to be perfect from the start. But it sounds like, you know, your collaboration and your team has been so willing to test and to um, adapt and innovate as you move. We love the word pilot. Piloting <laughs> is it. I think pilot, pilot is equally as much as pivot. Yes. <laughs> uh. we, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's the, the old saying, right? You fail, fail forward, right? As long as you're, you're moving forward, you mm-hmm. know, it, it has been absolutely <laughs> incredible for us to develop these programs, you know, to Lura's point a minute ago there with the, the new programming out at the cafe and the different takeaway options, you know, we're going to have a, a tiffin that is like, you know, a burger and then chips on the bottom and it could be a $6 up charge, but you get a really cool container that you can use to pack your lunches when you go to work or you can use for cookies at home or whatever you'd like. Right. And then mm-hmm. we have a $2 option that is a reusable, um, recycled plastic, like takeaway as well, yeah. continue to, to use at home. And, and so I think having those options and Lara said it best sustainability is for everybody. Sustainability is not just if you want to spend a lot of money. Yes. From a restaurant perspective, mm-hmm. 
it can be financially attainable. Um, you know, and, and we found that, you know, we, we have options in our restaurants. Yes. are a little more pricey, but we also make sure that there is options for everybody. And every single one of those options has a story and it has a, a reason behind why it's on there. And so that's, that's our hope is, is when people come and, and eat and, and sit with us and listen to our story that they walk away wanting to know a little bit more. If they walk away with that to-go container in their hand, it's a gentle reminder of, hey, you can do it. And, and it may just take packing your lunches in here instead of putting them in plastic. Yeah, and when they take those containers home and they're like, look how cool this is. Like, I can do this. I love that. I love hearing that later. That is the best thing in the world to hear from a guest. Like, I, I, I agree. It, but it, it's an experience you're building. You are creating something for them where they walk away and everyone yeah. wants to know, where'd you get that container? Right. Or, you know, and the next time they take that into work and say that, you know, they've packed their lunch for work the next day, someone asks about it. And like, oh, I got this at the aquarium. I built, you're creating an experience that goes well past that one day. And why? Like, why? Why? There's a why. Yeah. There's an education piece to it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we want, right? We're trying to inspire conservation for the ocean. Like, as much as we can take care of this world for our kids and our mm-hmm. kids' kids, that's the goal. And I have to ask you, the three of you and your, your entire, you know, organizations have been really open with what you've done with sustainability. Um, honestly, you know, sharing things that give you a competitive edge that give you like, a, uh, that are showing how you grow your revenue kind of very, just very openly. Why are you so open with what you're doing with sustainability and, and why you're, and how you're innovating? Well, I think uh, I'll speak on behalf of the, uh, from a client standpoint, and that is that the Monterey Bay Aquarium's entire mission is to inspire conservation of the ocean. We are uh, an education conservation organization, first and foremost, uh, as well as an attraction. And so as part of our mission, anything that we can help develop here, and again, kudos to our, our partners at SSA Group because they've gone along with this. Uh, and uh, um, I would well imagine that there's uh, opportunity to have things that would make it more competitive in their marketplace to maintain this as proprietary and some of the things that they're doing. But they've chosen not to. And they've chosen to walk the walk with us, uh, or together, I should say, because it's not they're they're not following it, they're walking with us. And it's actually um throughout their organization. And it is to develop solutions, share widely, so that they're adopted on a larger scale so we can make more of an impact uh throughout the industry. And I, I, again, like I said, we just we couldn't be more pleased with, you know, the, the work that we've been able to uh, achieve through um, our partnership with SSA. I, I don't know if I could hope for a better answer than that. I think that's what everybody out there wants to hear and, and wants to be a part of. So you may, after this, get a few people reaching out your way. Uh, so we'll, we'll share contact information and, and um, social media information and all that so that everyone that has a question we work with a lot of sustainability directors on our regional and national scale that would probably benefit from a conversation or or just some insight and trial and error and what's worked and what hasn't but um before you know i want to say thank you for the three of you taking time out today to jump onto this this podcast and really share your experiences your trials your errors your successes um and, and really where you're going with it. And I think helping us all to think a little bit outside of what's possible and get outside of the, the mindset of sustainability has to be this one thing or sustainability is or isn't tied to profit in some way. 
So, uh, you know, thank you for for sharing openly your experiences in that. But before I let you go, I do have a, a group question. So you can each ans- answer individually. Um, if you had to look back at the you starting off your career, you know, I know you've all come from different backgrounds. You come from different places and you've learned a lot of different things along the way. But if you had to go back and you had the opportunity to talk to your younger self, whenever that journey really started off, is there one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Is there one thing you would say? And uh, John, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. You know, so uh, the, the thing that I would impress upon my younger self was what you do matters. In other words, the, um, I, I, people ask how I ended up at the Monterey Bay Aquarium because I came from corporate, mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, uh, food distribution, actually. And uh, love selling straws, high margin products, you know, all of the, all of the cheap plastic stuff that probably in, once I got here, I realized that I am now part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And I want to tell you that when I go home at night, having done primarily the same job as I did in my previous life in sales, that the sense of connection to the world in which I'm working to the world I'm leaving my son is just trumps just about anything else I could possibly imagine in terms of job satisfaction. And uh, uh, I, I, I would impress upon my younger self the fact that what you do matters in this world. I like it. Laura, you're up. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we would all change when we were younger, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, I think the most important thing is we really have had, um, I wouldn't change a lot because what we've done so far, we've grown through, mm-hmm. like I've learned so much from different parts of this community uh, and people that I don't, I really like where we're at. I like where we're going in our, our vision. Um, so it's hard to say I would change a lot. I really, really have learned from a lot of great people. And um, I mean, we had a great, great time. All right. All right, Chef, uh, we're going to leave you to, to close on your retrospective and introspective thoughts. What would, you, what would you say to young Chef Matthew on the top of a volcano, just looking down into the abyss? I would, I would say stay young. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say, you know, the, the power of one. I think that is, that is probably one of the, the most important things that I have learned at the Monterey Bay Aquarium is how much of a change you can make as one person. And I think, you know, we all, we all go into new years every year, making a resolution and, and trying to change and I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to stop this. Or, you know, for me, I, I think it, it's, it's making commitment like that where it's, it doesn't feel like you can do it. You're going to commit to it. And, and then take it a piece at a time. And, and I truly feel like sustainability is that, you know, it, it's like, it's like trying to lose a little bit of weight. You know, you, you might make it, they might gain a little bit back and then you, but you stay focused, you know, you stay focused on the goal, which is making a difference, which is doing something better for the environment, you know, in, in creating a better world than we have when we got here. You know, and I think that the Monterey Bay Aquarium does just that and being here as a chef, you know, being able to hopefully inspire other people who are listening to this to make a difference. You are one person that can make a huge difference, even though it doesn't seem like it. You just got to put one foot in front of the other and make the change. 
I think that's a great note and a great thought to end on. So, Chef Matthew, Laura Migdal, John Abramson, thank you for jumping on with us today, sharing what you have in sustainability and for just being open to uh, your experiences and, and everything that you've done so far. So that's today's episode of Served by SHFM. Thank you, everyone, for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. Please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed on today's episode are not necessarily those of SHFM or any of its members.